Cindy's got the poster a long time ago. Okay, so cat's barely hanging on, all right? Hang in there, baby. Friday's coming. Let me ask you, does life ever seem like that? You're just hanging on, and, and you're going through the storm. You're going through the hurt, the fiery trial, and it just seems like you're like that cat, two nails in the rope, hanging on. But hang in there, because heaven's coming. You see, that's what I want us to look at today. We have been going through the book of John, chapter by chapter. And over the past several weeks, we've been looking at chapters 13 through 17. And chapters 13 through 17 here in John are Jesus' final moments, his last couple hours with the disciples. He had been in the upper room with the disciples, and he had the Last Supper with them. And now they are progressing out of that room, and they are moving to the Garden of Gethsemane. In this time frame, he has been unloading on them a bunch of information, a bunch of teaching, saying, here's what you need to be like. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what you need to do. And he's just been unloading all of this because he knows my time with these guys are done. And so I've got to unpack as much as I can in this little bit of time so they will know. Well, here in chapter 16, one of the things that he was referring to and one of the things he was beginning to teach them and trying to get them to understand is, guys, you're going to suffer. Pain is going to be real because this is what we looked at last week. In the first few verses of chapter 16, he talks about the fact that they are going to be persecuted. People are going to hate them and they're going to be excommunicated out of the synagogue. In fact, he says they will even kill you because of me. And then at the end of chapter 16 and verse 33, he tells them it's kind of like, it's kind of like two parentheses, two brackets, and he's just racking it in. And he says in, in chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have problems. You're going to have pain. You're going to suffer. You're going to hurt. Pain is real. And I, as I said last week, being a Christian, it is, what was the word I used? It's hard. It is hard. It's not very easy. It's not like we're just tipping toeing to the tulips of Christianity. Being a Christian is hard. And life gets hot. And that's what First Peter refers to in chapter 4. He, he's like, listen, you're going to go through fiery trials. And so Jesus is telling these guys, you're going to suffer. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience hurt. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't, doesn't leave them just hanging there. He's just not like, well, just hang on, guys. He's like, no, 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 hang on. Because heaven's coming. Something better, so much better is coming. And that's what I want to look at today, is I want us to look at the reality that even though we experience pain now, hurt now, suffering now, heaven is coming. So let's begin. I got to walk through verses 16 through um, 19 before we get into our points, because this sets up where he's going. So if you look at chapter 16, starting with verse 16, Jesus says to them, he says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, in a little while, you will see me. Don't you love it when people talk to riddles? I mean, isn't that frustrating when somebody says something to you and then they're like, he's like talking in a riddle to these guys. And um, they, they're confused because if you look at what they say right after that in verse 17, it says, so some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? 
a little while and you will not see me. And again, in a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. And so they were saying, what does he mean in a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. I think I would be there. I, I, I would be confused. And then verse 19, Jesus says, he says, Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while you will see me. And again, a little while you will see me again. So what is Jesus talking about here? All right. Well, we can probably he's talking about two experiences, but two separate experiences. One is the initial experience and then a future experience. In the initial, he's really talking about his death and resurrection. He says, in a little bit, you're not going to see me because I'm going to die. I'm going to be laid in a tomb. I'm going to, you will not see me, but in a little bit, you will see me again. So in a few hours, he's going to die. And then in three days, he's going to resurrect. They will not see him after his death, but when he resurrects, he appears to them again. So in a little while, they don't see him, but in a little while, they do see him. But primarily, I believe he's talking about a futuristic event. It's not the death and resurrection, but the ascension into heaven. Because where he goes, what he talks about here, because the ascension of heaven is after his death and resurrection, he appears to them. But in the little while, he's like, in a little while, I'm going away. And the reason why we can say that he's going to heaven is because what the disciples say in verse 17 when he says, they say, some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says? A little while you will not see me, and, a, and again you will see me, because I'm going to the Father. Jesus says that in verse 10 of, verse, of chapter 16. When he's talking about when the Holy Spirit comes, what the role of the Holy Spirit will be on this earth and in verse 10, he says, concerning righteousness, what the Holy Spirit's going to do, he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. He's telling the disciples that I'm about to go to the Father. I'm going back to heaven. That's where the context really is, is that Jesus is talking about, in a little while, you won't see me because I'm going to ascend back to heaven and you won't see me no more. But in a little while, you will see me. Well, how will the disciples see him in a little while? Through their death. When they die, they will see him again. In fact, oh, that's going to be down in one of my points. Never mind, I don't want to go there yet. In a little while, he's ascending. And they won't see him again. Until a little while, at their death, they do see him. Because these guys were believers in Jesus Christ. They were saved. They had salvation. So their eternity was set. The eternal life that Jesus talks about so many times in the book of John was granted to these men. So when they would die physically, their bodies laid in the, in, in the ground, but they would be in the presence of the Lord. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. In a little while, I'm going away, and in a little while, you will see me again. And then in verse 20, he begins to show them what to expect when this takes place. When they see him again, what will they experience? What's to, what's to come? And so now that's what I want to look at. I want to look at three things of what you can expect because heaven is coming. 
Here's the first thing to expect because heaven is coming and it's this. Suffering is done and complete happiness is fulfilled. Suffering is done and complete happiness is fulfilled. So starting at verse 20, Jesus says, truly, truly, whenever you see two trulys like that, it's like pay attention to this because there's nothing more important. He's trying to get these guys to understand what I'm about to tell you is so important, you need to understand and grasp it. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Again, I believe Jesus talking simultaneously about two events, his death and resurrection and his ascension to heaven. Because in the, in the immediate, they will feel sorrow when he dies. And they're going to weep and they're going to mourn over his death. But when he comes back from the grave, they will rejoice and they'll be joyful. But they will be sad again when he ascends into heaven and is gone. But the real suffering will begin. After Jesus ascends into heaven, when he is finally gone once and for all, and these apostles... The reins have been passed to them for the church. That's when their suffering will begin. That's when the persecution truly begins. That's when the real sorrow, the real pain, the real hurt begins at that point. But he says, I'm telling you though, you will suffer, you will lament, but there will come a day when your sorrow, when your weeping, when your mourning, when your pain is going to be turned into joy. And so he talks about this joy, sorrow turning into joy. And he illustrates this by a woman giving birth. Look at verse 21. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because the hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Ladies, if you've had a, if you've had a baby, is Jesus hitting the nail on the head right there? Okay? I mean, I mean, guys, we can't understand this. We don't even begin to fathom to understand this thing. But I'm going to presume that when, before the baby is delivered, um, there's a lot of pain in that, in that situation, right? You, you, grab your, you grab your husband by the bottom lip, and you're like, you did this to me. You're angry, and, and, and you're like, you're, you want to be, you become a drug addict in that moment. And, 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 and you want drugs and everything. And, but the moment you give birth to the baby, are you still like in, in anguish? And are you still like so mad? Or how is it that all of a sudden you begin to smile and almost cry in laughter? Because now all of a sudden you take that brand new baby and you hold it in your arms. And there's joy. You just went through hours of pain and anguish, but in a matter of a heartbeat, you're happy. And you're joyful. That's what Jesus is illustrating here. He's like, in this time right now, on this side of heaven, you are experiencing the labor pains. You're experiencing the pain and the hurt and the anguish and the sorrow. He's like, but I am telling you, in a heartbeat, that sorrow, that pain, that anguish is going to turn to joy. And he goes on. Look at verse 22. He says, so also you have sorrow now. See, there it is. He, he's just, again... 
repeating himself. He's like, guys, right now, on this side of heaven, on this earth, you have sorrow. In verse 33, he says, right now, you have tribulation. In this life, in this place, on this side of heaven, suffering is real. Pain is real. Sorrow is real. Death is real. And we deal with it. And we, we, we mourn and we weep. And, and we feel the sorrow of all that. But look what Jesus says. Now you have sorrow. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. You see, Jesus is like... There's going to come a day when, when you're going through all the suffering, all the pain, all the anguish, all the sorrow, but there's going to come a day when you will see me again. And it is as if you have never experienced sorrow. The pain is gone. The sorrow is gone. The suffering is gone. It is all gone. Turned in an instant into joy. And then one more time. In verse 24, he says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name, asking you will receive that your joy may be full. You notice four times he uses the word joy. Joy, 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 joy. We sing that song, we got the joy, joy, joy down in my... Well, here's the thing. That word joy... From the Greek word, it actually means a state of great happiness. It, it's a state. It is, it's, it's not just a fleeting thing. It's not like I, I have a little joy now, but it's gone. No, no. It is an actual state of who you are. It, it, it's the condition that you are in. Complete happiness. Well, here's the thing. Also there in verse 4, he says that your joy may be full. That word full means to make something total or complete. Grasp that for a moment. He's talking about that there's going to come a day when the joy that you should have, which we don't have right now, will be made completely, totally, 100% yours. It will be a state in which you are in. Right now, in this place, on this earth, in this body, you and I, we, we experience joyful times, right? We experience happy times. But it, do you live in a continual state of joy and happiness right now? No. No matter how hard you do it. Man, when Paul and I were on vacation, I really felt like I was in an eternal state of joy on that beach. But then we come back home. And it went out the window because all of a sudden you start turning on the news, you start seeing things, you know, you, all of a sudden life begins to happen again. And so the reality is on this side of heaven, yes, we, we experience joy, we experience happiness, but it's not complete. Because the problem is, is even though we experience joy and happiness now, guess what it's mixed with? Suffering, pain, hurt, death, sorrow, sickness. It, it, it's all mixed. And so you can have joy and, joy and happiness on Monday, 
Come Tuesday, though, something happens, and the joy and the happiness you felt 24 hours earlier can be completely gone. But Jesus is saying, there's coming a day that pain and suffering and sorrow and sin and sickness is all gone. And you are going to be in a state of complete and full joy. And I love what he says to the disciples, like in verse 22, I believe it was. He says, and nobody will take it from you. Nobody or nothing will take it from you. See, that's why Revelation chapter 21 talks about that there's going to come a day when all of this that we know is going to be gone. Because God's going to destroy this heaven, the, the, the universe, and the earth, and he's creating it all new. And in chapter, and in chapter 21 of Revelation, it says that, that, that I am going to be their God, and, and they will be my people, and we will live together and dwell together. I'm making all things new. And sickness and sorrow and death and pain and tears, gone. Why? Because we have complete, full joy. You see, this is why the Bible tells you and I, don't get comfortable here. Don't get comfortable with your life. Don't set your hope on this world. Don't set your eyes and your heart on this world. That's why John here wrote the book of John and he says, and do not love this world. Why? Because this is all fading, guys. This is not the real deal. When you go to a play, if you were to go to like a, a, a play on in, in New York and you were just, you know, you were there like four hours earlier and the actors are warming up and, you know, going through their lines. Are you sitting there going, oh, this is the greatest play ever. I love this play. Or what's, someone would look at you and go, dude, it's rehearsal. This is not, oh, you, you don't even, you're not even coming close to seeing what you don't enjoy and love the rehearsal. You love the real deal. This life, guys, is rehearsal. Don't get used to it. Don't long for it. You see, I, 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 I ask myself this question. When we pray and we ask God for things, we, we pray for healing, we pray for finances, we pray for restored relationships, we pray for all this. But what happens when we pray for healing? We pray for cancer not to take a loved one, and it does. What do we, when we pray for the finances and they don't come through, how often do we get angry at God because of that? And the enemy wants to convince you and I, well, you see, if God loved you, he would give you it all. If God really cared about you, he would heal you every time. If God really loved you, man, you'd have so much money, you wouldn't know what to do. If God was truly like that, but the enemy convinces he's, he's not. And so he want, the enemy wants us to get our hearts set on the things of this world. So when God doesn't give us what we pray for and ask for, the enemy wants to make us feel disappointed in God. Well, I ask myself and I wonder, perhaps God doesn't answer our prayers every single time and give us everything because he doesn't want us loving this place. Because think about it. If every time you pray for something and you ask God for something and in an instant God gave it to you, Wanted, you wanted $100,000 to buy that brand new car, he gave it to you. You wanted healing of everything, he gave it to you. You wanted this, he gave it to you. Everything, you gave it to you. How, how much are you going to long for eternity? You see, 
when you're going through the hurt and the pain and you're praying, God, please take it away, and he doesn't, let me ask you, does your heart long for something different? Does your long, do you ever sit there and go, oh, God, just beam me up already? I'm tired of this place. You see, that's why we sang that song, better is one day in your courts, God. Better is one day in your house than a thousand anywhere else. Because David wrote, and I believe David also was, when he wrote Psalm 84, he was writing in the present, but he was also writing futuristic. When David wrote, and he says, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. I believe he was writing in the moment, the court, the, the temple of God. He, 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 he loved to go to church. But I also believe he was yearning to be out of this place. God, I yearn to be with you. God, I long to be with you. And I believe that's what God wants for each and every one of us. Don't yearn long and groan and moan for this place. Yearn and even faint. God, I want to see you. Paul wrote that and he says, hey, you know what? To live is more fruit, but to die is gain, which is far better than anything else. Paul longed for that. He longed to be with Jesus, but he knew while I'm here, I got a job to do. You see, all of this that we know is coming to an end. And right now, maybe some of you are going through it. You're experiencing that life is hard, as we talked about last week. You're going through the sorrow, the suffering, the, the pain. You're going through the fiery trial. The, the suffering is very real. Listen, loved one, hang on. Because as Paul describes to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he describes our life and, and the troubles we go through and the pain that we experience and the suffering that we go through as light and momentary compared to the eternal glory that we will experience. If you could picture a drop... In fact, I'm going to see if I can do this without making a major mess. Imagine you were standing over all the oceans, all the seas, all the rivers, all the bodies of water on this earth. That's your life. Does that compare even to the Mississippi River? No, but if you were to take the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Indian Ocean, you were to take the Gulf of Mexico, you were to take all the seas, you were to take every, every river in the world, that's your life compared to them. Your pain, that's your pain compared to eternity. It pales, not even close. And Jesus says, that's coming. That's coming. So in your suffering and in your pain right now, hang in there. Because heaven is coming. Here's the second thing. What to expect because heaven's coming, and it's this. Complete knowledge fulfilled. So suffering is done and complete happiness is fulfilled, but also complete knowledge is fulfilled. Look at verse 23. Jesus says, in that day, guys, when you get to heaven, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. I find that interesting. In that day, you're not going to ask anything of me. 
Now, I want you to see something. Notice he says there, you'll ask nothing of me. But he goes on, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. You notice he says the word ask twice. Now, here's what's interesting. You've got to remember that our English Bibles were translated from Greek manuscripts, okay? In the Greek manuscript, these verses actually don't have the same word for two asked words. There's two different Greek words with two different meanings. So when Jesus says in this moment, he goes, in that day, you will ask me of nothing. It's one, one Greek And that Greek word actually means to inquire of to ask questions. So Jesus is basically saying, in that day, when you get to heaven, um, you're not going to ask me a question. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever said to yourself, man, when I get to heaven, I'm asking Jesus all kinds of questions. I'm, all, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to stand there for days and say, okay, where were the dinosaurs? I'm just curious about that. Well, here's the thing. Jesus is like, in that day, you're not going to ask me anything. And it's not because Jesus is being rude, and it's because of this. The Apostle Paul actually gives us the answer to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Paul writes, he says, For now, while we're on this side of heaven, meaning while we're here on this earth, for now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now, while you and I are on this earth, it's as if, you were looking at a mirror and it's kind of dark and, and dim and you can't really see. That's his life. We don't really see. We see with our eyes physical things, but are you just seeing angels flying around? Are you seeing beyond the physical into the spiritual realm right now? No. There are so many things that you and I don't even begin to grasp them and understand and see. But Jesus says, but then when you're in heaven face-to-face. -face. Think about that. The book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12 that when you and I die, we go to the heavenly city of God. And in that moment, you're going to come to all kinds of things. And one of the things you're coming to is Jesus Christ himself, face-to-face. -face. But Paul goes on to write in this scripture. He says, but right now, I only know in part. Then... I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You see, Paul says, right now, I only know a little bit. I'm not even scratching the surface of what, what I really know. I mean, think about, kind of, think about some of the spiritual things we, we, we deal with. Sin. How many of us really understand the, the impact of sin in our life? And, and why Jesus had to die for our sin? How many of us under, really understand what righteousness means. What does it really mean to be um, separated from God? What does it really mean great is the faithfulness of God? What does it really mean that God loves sinners? We really don't understand this stuff. But when you and I enter into the throne of grace, when we enter into that glory, when we go from here to there, it's like a veil is going to be lifted off your face. And you're just going to know. Again, how do we know? How, how does that work? I have no idea. You see what I mean by we don't know so much? But Paul says, right now, I only know a little bit. 
But then I will fully know as I am fully known. Meaning Jesus knows everything about you. There are things about you that you probably don't even know about you. But Jesus knows the depth of your being. He knows everything about you. He knows every thought you have. He knows every step you take. He knows every place you go. He knows everything about you. There's nothing hidden from him. That's what Paul's talking about. He's like, just as Jesus knows you, you will fully know. I, can't, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to grasp that. But all I know is you and I are not going to be standing in line going, come on, Ruth. I got a question to ask. It's not being, you're just going to know. You're just going to know. Why? Because knowledge is fulfilled. And then here's the last thing. Complete relationship fulfilled. Complete relationship fulfilled. Now look at verse 23 again. So he says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Again, another ask, another Greek word. Remember, the first time I said that first Greek word was to, uh, it was to inquire, to seek information, to ask questions of. This time, the word ask comes from a different Greek word, which means to ask of, to petition, to, hey, I, I, I want this, okay? That's what Jesus is talking about here. But he's talking about that there's going to be a relationship difference between now and then. How many of you would agree that you can, that you can have an online relationship with somebody, a friendship, like, or online dating, and you can have that online relationship? Is it better to have an online relationship or a personal face-to-face -face relationship? Personal face-to-face. -face. I mean, you can be online and, and you can text people, you can email people, you can you chat room people, whatever, but there's a distance there. There's a, there's a, a, a disconnect. I mean, the relationship's not one, it's there, but it's not there. But when you are face-to-face -face with someone, that relationship's wholly different. It's completely different. Who wants to take a pop quiz? Anybody? No, you can't. I already told you the answers to this. Anybody want a pop quiz? Man, you all, come on. No pop quiz. All right, I'll just, I'll just, I guess I guess I gotta give you the answers. All right, yes or no? You are 100%, if you know Christ is your Savior, you are 100% justified before God because through faith in Christ, you have that. Yes or no? Yes. Bible tells us that. If you know Christ is your Savior, Savior, um, you are 100% righteous before God. Yes or no? Yes. Positionally, you are 100% righteous. You are 100% loved by God. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Those are absolute truths from the Bible. So you have all of those 100% absolutes. But let me ask you this question. Is your relationship with God 100% complete? No. And who could tell me why not? I have not seen him face to face. Right now, we are still separated from the Father. Right now, there is a distance, a gap. You see, so when you, when you and I pray, yes, we pray to God, but we pray through the Holy Spirit. 
We don't pray face to face. We don't have a relationship face to face. But when you and I die, or we're raptured out of here, you will see face to face. Because as again, Hebrews chapter 12, when you die, you come to the holy city of God. And it says that you come to God. God the Father. We come to Christ. We come to God the Father. The relationship. You see, this is why in Psalm chapter 116, and this has always been a verse that, that I used to be perplexed over. In Psalm chapter 116, verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Think about that for a moment. Precious in the sight of God, the Lord, is the death of his saints. So when a believer in Christ dies, it means that God is joyful about that. And you'll be like, well, that kind of sounds weird. No, it's because now his child has come home. Because right now, we are separated. And so there's going to come a day that the relationship with God as a believer in Jesus Christ is going to be 100% fulfilled. Now, when Jesus says, in that day, you will ask the Father of anything in my name, and he will give it to you. That's awesome to hear, isn't it? That I can just go to the Father and ask him and, and for anything, and he'll give it to me. That's a great promise. And I think Jesus um, sets that as a promise there because I think there's a little caveat, and he's not saying it. And here it is. When you're in heaven, when you're with God the Father, when you are 100% perfected, when you have 100% knowledge complete, when you have 100% joy complete, your relationship with God the Father is 100% complete, everything that, that you, you, you have in crisis, what is it you're going to need? Think of anything. When you're in heaven, you have, you have everything you need in Christ. What is it you're going to ask the Father for? Because you have everything that you need. You, you'll have complete joy. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more sickness. You, well, I'm going to ask God for some money. Really? All I know is the book of Revelation talks that the, gold, that the streets are made out of gold. So if God uses... Um, Gold as pothole filler. <laughs> Why will you need money? So much, I think, we view of what we need from God from the temporal here and now. But when you are, and again, we, we, we be, can't begin to understand this right now. But when we are in the very presence of Christ, when we come to God, when we come into the city of the living God, when we see the, and I'm quoting um, Hebrews 12 here, when we see myriads and myriads of angels and celestials singing and rejoicing and, so, and worshiping God, when we see the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, when we see everybody who now perfected in Christ, when we see all of this and we are in that, what are you going to need? Nothing. That's why Jesus says, oh, by the way, when you see the Father face to face, ask him for anything, he'll give it to you. You won't need anything. Just like you won't ask Jesus any questions because you'll know it all. Won't that be great? You'll be able to be, Mr. Know-it-all? I know. <laughs> but also, you'll be able to stand before the Father and go, I don't need a thing. 
because I have it all. Because everything that we need right now and that longing we have is going to be completely fulfilled because heaven's coming. Amen? Listen, let me just close with two little thoughts. I want to talk to you, those of you who have the storm in your life right now. The suffering is real. I know it. I may not be able to understand it from your point of view. But I know your suffering is real. I know your pain is real. I know maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe you have a child you haven't talked to in years. Maybe you have children who don't serve Christ. It could be a myriad of things, and the hurt is there. And maybe the enemy's been trying to convince you to walk away, give up on God. Why do you keep, why do you keep, what's the point anymore? If God loved you, he would help you out, and he just isn't helping you. Why do it? Listen, here's why we do it, because we're going to keep hanging on, because heaven's coming. The prize is waiting for you. That's why the Bible says run in such a way as to get the prize. The prize is coming. There's an inheritance kept in heaven for you. It is coming. It is coming. It is coming. It's just not right now. Hang in there. And I'm telling you, the 40 years, the 50 years, whatever, 60 years, however many years the suffering lasts, it pales in comparison. It is a drop in the ocean compared to the eternal glory you will receive through Christ. Hang in there. But now let me talk to anyone in here who, let me ask you a question. Are you going to heaven? Pretty much everybody, oh yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. Why? Well, because I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because, well, I'm religious. I've, you know, I've been a member of a church. I, I'm going to heaven because I've given to charities. I'm going to heaven because I'm, I'm, I'm a well-liked person. I'm going to heaven because I volunteer. I'm going to heaven because, well, you know, I, I do pretty much good things. The Bible makes it very clear that we are all sinners. And the Bible makes it very clear that before God, Every one of our, what we think is a righteous act, what we think is a good deed, is stained with sin. And before God, it means nothing. That's why in the book of Ephesians, it tells us that none of us are saved because of our work. No one's going to boast before God about, look what I did. Look, what I, look how many times I went to church. Look how many gold stars I got, God. Look how much money I gave. Look, God, that's not going to impress him. Because we are all sinners and our sin stains us. The only thing that can remove our sin, the Bible says, is through faith in Christ. Jesus died on a cross not to be just another religious thing. Jesus died on a cross because humanity was dying and going to hell. And he needed to save us. And every religion on this planet says, here's how you get to God. You do, you act, you work, you do these things, you follow these principles, you act this way, you will go to heaven. Every religion says that except for one, and it's Christianity. Christianity says you cannot work your way to God. You've got to have faith in Christ and Christ alone. And if you will believe in Jesus that he died on a cross for you and believe that you are a sinner and receive him by faith and say, Jesus, take away my sin, be my savior, the Bible says you shall be saved. Here's how you know you are saved or not. You're not saved because, well, I've been a churchgoer for 50 years. 
I've been saved. No. Here's how you know if you're saved. What's your conversion story? You should have a conversion story. A conversion story is perhaps, well, on May 15th, 1985, I was in church. It may not be that. A conversion story is this. I heard a message. I had somebody tell me, I heard this. I was a sinner. And my sin was going to separate me from God for all eternity. And somebody said, if you will believe in Jesus and accept him, and you will confess him with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior, you shall be saved. And I remember when I was a teenager. I remember when I was a child. I remember when I was a young adult. I remember back this ten, two weeks ago, I said a prayer. I asked Jesus to come into my life and save me. That's a conversion story. If you don't have a conversion story, you don't have a conversion if you don't have a conversion story, if you cannot pinpoint the, de- the time when you asked Jesus into your life, not because I've gone to church, not because I was on a church membership, not because I gave to charity, but I asked Jesus into my life. If you've never done that, heaven is not coming. Heaven is open for anybody and everybody. It's exclusive only to those who have asked Jesus into your heart. Today, I don't care if you are 95 or if you're 15. If you don't have a conversion story and you have never asked Jesus into your heart, I'm going to ask you to do that today. Because you may not have another moment. I was talking to Ron Larson this past week. His wife was in a car driving his, their son to the doctor, to a, a therapy, to therapy lesson. She sat in the car waiting for him. He came out, and within moments, her heart gave out. And he had to do CPR on her until the paramedics got there. And she has not woken up since. That's how quick this life can change. You're not promised tomorrow. God can say in a moment, give me back my breath. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, don't wait because that wait may not come. And so if you would bow your head, let me close in a word of prayer because we're going to have a baptism here in a second. We have three young ladies who are made a profession. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so if you would bow your head, I just want to ask if you don't know Christ as your Savior, today can be your day. Today can be your time where you say, Jesus I don't know if I'm saved or not, but I want to make sure. And maybe right now you need to say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Be my Savior. Save me. I know I'm a sinner, and and I don't want to be separated. If that would be you, would you raise your hand? Because I want to pray with you. I want to just give you an opportunity to be able to receive him as your personal Savior. Because Jesus wants to save you just as much as he wanted to save me. And this can be your moment today. So Father, you see every heart in here. And Lord, as I close this prayer, that if there would still be anybody here, Lord, that they're feeling that conviction, that Holy Spirit drawing them, that Lord, they would still make that decision. So Lord, we thank you for the time we've had in your your house and in your word we just 
Thank you for this time we can celebrate this baptism, Father. And we just give you the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.